7.34 just about, and we have had in the last hour or so British Prime Minister Boris Johnson saying people would only be allowed to leave their homes for basic necessities, such as for medical reasons, to travel to and from work, that sort of thing. This comes after Sunday's press briefing when Mr Johnson warned people that they'd have to take further measures if people don't stay two metres apart from one another. Let's discuss further with Professor Willem van Schaik, Department of Microbiology and Infection from the University of Birmingham, based in the UK. Thank you for joining us. Hello. So Prime Minister Johnson is taking even tougher measures. It's a big turnaround, and this is one of the overriding themes of this uh, that's painted Boris Johnson in a negative light globally, this idea that he's gone from advocating herd immunity to uh, a kind of lockdown when much of the evidence for a lockdown was already there at the time of the previous advice. Can you give us your sense of things? Oh, yeah, it's certainly true that over the last 10 days or so, the the government's policy has changed quite dramatically. As you were just saying, uh, at the start, there was this concept of herd immunity and how that would help the country cope with the uh, with the virus but um, since then that well basically after they launched that uh, announced that policy over a press conference and it was an unprecedented outcry of scientists who said this is actually not going to work uh, or in the, in the best case scenario at least it's going to lead to tens of thousands of people dying uh, because of uh, of covid-19 and so over the last week or so, there's been a very significant change in policy that has led to the UK being very sort of almost laissez-faire in its approach to COVID-19 to be much more in line to what other P- European countries are doing. So you've been critical of the government's so-called laissez-faire strategy, which certainly is not laissez-faire anymore. D- does it go far enough at this point People will still be able to go outside to uh, go shopping for basic necessities. People might abuse that kind of allowance. Well, we we don't know yet. So uh, I know that in a country like France, people will have uh, to bring paperwork uh, with them if they want to go outside. I think it doesn't really fit with uh, how, how the British see themselves, that they don't want to... And they think that they believe very strongly in personal responsibility. Uh, so from that perspective, I think it makes more sense to first try it like this. But of course, uh, maybe in a few days that uh, the enforcement will become stricter if, if people see that it doesn't really have an effect. But I'm, I'm quite optimistic at this stage that people will listen to the government advice and will stay, into their, uh, stay in their houses, in their homes as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, because I, I guess when you look at the the small print and the reasons that people could leave their homes, even for exercise, for example, it, it mm-hmm. does leave a lot to people to cooperate rather than some sort of draconian style lockdown. And, and actually, therefore, it's not so different to what people are voluntarily practicing here in, in Korea. And, and in fact, the government here has started to take even tougher measures locally. But we're in a very different place uh, with, with just um, 
64 added infections yesterday and and witnessing a slowdown. The UK's trajectory is heading in the direction of Italy right now, unless something drastic happens. Do you you worry if if it's too late already? I I don't think it's too late already. What we need to do in this country is probably to set up a testing infrastructure like you have in South Korea, which is going to be incredibly challenging, uh, but it's not impossible. Uh, and uh, by having a lockdown, as we are as we're going to have right now, at least we're buying ourselves time to set up that infrastructure. So I, I don't think it's too late, but it's, it's almost certain that we'll see a further growth in the number of cases of COVID-19 over the next week or two weeks, because that's simply how long it takes before people uh, start to get symptoms after they have been infected, for example, over the last weekend. Because the fear is that when you start doubling and start increasing at an exponential rate, it it starts to look out of hand very, very quickly. It wasn't long ago that I was speaking to my parents in the UK and, and it was the tone of the conversation was very much sympathetic as to what was happening here in Korea, whereas Britain mm-hmm. was was almost unscathed as far as confirmed infections were concerned. And, and now, suddenly, the UK is not far from Korea's overall number of infections. But the the death toll is already um, at 335 and and threatening to rise further. As I said, it's it's almost tracking where Italy was just a couple of weeks before. So so do we have any idea how many people might be infected or seriously ill right now that just are not accounted by these numbers right now? I I cannot say how many people are seriously ill right now. I, I wouldn't have so. Uh, well, to put it another way, are you, do I don't you, have access to. Yeah, I mean, sorry, go ahead. Be, because I, I I understand you wouldn't have access to that number. I guess another way of putting it would be: Do you suspect the number could be, uh, or do you fear the number could be much higher because yeah. of the fact that there's not widespread testing? Yeah, so I think that the number of people that are are seriously ill is is probably correct because if people are seriously ill, they will be brought into a hospital and they will be tested. Uh, the thing that is um, that is quite uh, is of course uh, uh, relevant here is that we have uh, uh, about sixty six hundred reported cases right now. But that is probably the tip of the iceberg because only the people that are very ill and are being taken to hospital and, and hospital workers are being tested. <clears throat> so there's, there's, so I have uh, friends that have symptoms of COVID-19 and they they uh, they stay home, of course, because they need to be they stay in self isolation, uh, and they are quite. Ill, like like a, a flu, but not not so ill that they have to be brought into hospital, and that means that they are not being tested. And of course, that is a concern. We just don't know exactly how many cases there are right now in the country. Sir Patrick Valence, the chief scientific officer, uh, estimated there might well be around fifty thousand already in the country, and that's certainly possible. What's the state of British healthcare right now to be able to cope with this? Well, like again, like in so many other countries, the the, the, um, the capacity of uh, ICUs, intensive care units, is limited, and so we we simply cannot uh, handle massive amounts of patients going into 
intensive care units uh, needing uh, mechanical ventilation. Uh, in that way, the UK is not different from Italy, and in fact, it might be even slightly worse than Italy because we have less ICU beds per capita than, than Italy has. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that is a concern. We need to do as much as possible to try and, and, and turn that curve around or at least flatten the curve so that we can at least spread out, uh, hopefully minimize the number of cases, of course, but at least spread out the number of cases over a longer period of time. And we can do that by, by testing more and, and, and isolate, isolating the people that are testing positive, like uh, what South, South Korea is doing right now. When we look at the, the numbers for Europe, though, they are particularly alarming. Is, is there any mm. reason for that, do you think? Why would Europe be so much worse affected than other parts of the world? That's, that's a really good question. And, and, you, and I, I may not have the, the expertise to really comment on that, but uh, let's say... Um, I think in a general, very general sense that uh, most European countries or all European countries are very liberal, open democracies, and, and people <laughs> tend not always to listen to what the state or the government tells them to do. Uh, and the governments of, of most European countries know this, so that even, for example, if you would call for a lockdown two weeks ago in, in, in the UK, it might simply not have worked because people would have basically said we're not doing it. Uh, and now I think everybody is really convinced that this is a very serious uh, situation. So now uh, a sufficient number of people, or hopefully almost everybody, will stay home as much as possible. And I think that there really are cultural differences between between uh, countries in, in Europe and, and countries in Asia that have been much more successful in, in countering this, uh, this infections. Certainly, it seems like uh, South Korea, for example, uh, there's a lot more buy-in from the population to try and, and uh, nip this in the bud, as it were, uh, which is not something that we've seen in, uh, in, in most European countries. Are you hopeful, though, that that having gone through this experience, the world will, will definitively actually learn this lesson now and that no one's going to have the excuse. Various countries, to a lesser or greater extent, were affected by SARS. Uh, South mm. Korea had the strong experience with MERS in 2015, but the whole world is being profoundly impacted by COVID-19. We're going to have to, aren't we, take any possible whiff of a pandemic seriously in the next decades? Well, I think that is, if there's one lesson that we have to uh, learn from this as, as everybody on this planet. So, so microbiologists and virologists have been warning for pandemics for, for, for decades. Uh, and uh, of course, with, with SARS was, was a close shave and we, we managed to control that. Uh, uh, but this is, this is a new pandemic, pandemic and we, we are definitely struggling to control this. Uh, unfortunately, infectious diseases uh, will, be, uh, will continue to cause problems in, in the future. And sometimes it's going to be very difficult to predict where they're coming from. People were predicting that the next big pandemic was going to be flu. But this isn't flu, this is a coronavirus. So it's, uh, it is very much that we, we don't know what's coming when, when you talk about infectious diseases. So we need to be vigilant and we need to set up very 
very strong surveillance systems and international systems of co- cooperation to try and quickly uh, report on, on new infectious diseases that emerge and also then to develop new therapies and new drugs to counter these, uh, these infections. Indeed. A, a, a final question, again, like many of the others I'm interested in, a, a very difficult to answer right now, the, the timeline on this. Where do you stand on that question? Because right now in Britain, I'm aware through social media, people are recalling a sort of wartime spirit, which is fine for a couple of weeks, but maybe a bit tougher to, to maintain in the current state of, of at least semi-lockdown for a a long period of time. Uh, at what point do you think the government might be able to start relaxing these guidelines? I have, I have absolutely no idea. I, it's very difficult to say that. What we do know is that we, if we would, for example, be in lockdown for two months or three months or whatever time, and we would simply again stop the lockdown and everybody would start going to work again without any additional infrastructure in place, for example, with testing and isolation, then the the outbreak would simply come back and start to take off exponentially again. So uh, I think this lockdown is buying us time, um, and that allows us to uh, ramp up the number of tests that we can do. And I understand uh, from the government that they are preparing to implement large numbers of of, uh, of, uh, of tests or setting up infrastructure to allow the country to set, to do this. And in the meantime, we will also hopefully see the development of novel drugs or vaccines that might reach the clinic over the next few months. Right. Uh, so to end on a positive note, I think that uh, COVID-19 has led to an unprecedented number of collaborative efforts from scientists across many different disciplines. And because communication between scientists is now so much faster and more streamlined than it has ever been, uh, I, I feel that there is some cause for optimism because never before have so many scientists been mobilised to fight a single single enemy. Well, this is certainly the importance of learning lessons and in the future, as we will look back on these times in the form of history, of also learning from history and having a a consensus on that uh, and not allowing it to become over politicized again though there are so many questions yeah. and issues here that 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 leave us in the area of speculation and we thank you for indulging us in some of that professor willem van Shea from the university of birmingham good to have you on the line you're welcome thank you